Well, happy Culture Cast Day. And OMG, welcome, 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 Erica Kaswin. I'm super excited to have you. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm excellent. I can already see a couple of people are jumping on the comments. Thank you, Jeffrey Baloli, one of my former colleagues. And yes, I love this intro music. Thank you, Julius Wilder. Again, Erica, I don't know if you know, this is kind of new. And Julius, who was a musician and producer in Nashville, just threw it together, just based on kind of watching these and getting the vibe of all of our guests and me. So thank you again, Julius, for doing this. Um, so Erica, I'm so fired up to have you. I, I always like to share at the beginning, the reason why I'm doing this culture cast is that there is such a broad audience out there, not just business people, but people across industries who are just curious about what they can be doing differently to create cultures of engagement, of involvement, of inclusion in whatever it is that they're doing. And I find that guests that I meet with just have so much knowledge um, in what they do and they've seen it across industries. And what I'm so excited about for you and having you on as a guest is you have like this thread and theme of humanity and everything that you have written about and you've observed. Um, I think everyone knows your newest book is The Retention Revolution. And I think it's titled Seven Very Surprising and Very Human, right? Mm -hmm. Ways to keep your companies connect or your employees connected in your company. And then I met you when you were writing The Rituals Roadmap, mm -hmm. and it's the human way to transform everyday routines into magic. And then the first one, bring your human to work. I mean, so I just want to jump into, first of all, who is Erica? And I, let's learn about you and your kind of growing up, but then what kind of set you on that pathway to observe human behavior? Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for the intro. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. The new book, The Retention Revolution, comes out in September. So uh, this is such a great way to, to kick it off. Um, so when I think about me um, in terms of growing up and, and how I got into this role, I mean, probably couldn't have predicted it, but I've always been someone that's really sought out relationships. Um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 10 and my dad happens to actually be a divorce attorney, which probably could be a movie um, or maybe a book. But, um, you know, he always said that, that the many children, when their parents are divorced, do tend to really seek out connections with others um, in their lives, whether that's teachers or coaches um, to sort of expand, um, you know, the relationships in their lives. And I think that was, that was true for me. So it was always something that, that was important to me. I always, as I got older, tried to, you know, connect people when I thought, you know, you know, I met you and I thought you'd really like my friend or like this company or like this book. And that's why I, I call myself a professional dot connector, because I feel like I'm always connecting the dots and, and, you know, making connections to people. And I got really focused on this idea of connection in the workplace um, as technology became more prevalent. So it might sort of show my age, but I did have a BlackBerry back in the day and it was- So an did I. Awesome <laughs> phone and I kind of miss it to this day. Um, but back in, you know, 2010, 2008, 2009, I also got an iPhone and I found myself- you know, I had the BlackBerry first and then, uh, you know, 10 years later had an iPhone and found myself 
um, walking around with two phones, you know, one for oh, the wow. great keyboard and one for the apps. And I thought to myself, you know, th this technology is great, but I also was beginning to see the impact, the good, the bad, and the ugly that it was, uh, that was having on our connections. And that really was the beginning um, to look at, you know, how do we find what I call the sweet spot between tech and connect? How do we leverage technology? I mean, we're, we're on, you know, LinkedIn live right now yeah. and right at you. And we have all these great people participating and the technology is great, but there also comes to, comes a time when to, to bring our human to work and to life and to our homes and to everything that we do, yeah. we also need to put technology in its place. I love it. I mean, thank you for sharing about going all the way back to when your parents got divorced and how that impacted you. And that kind of encouraged you to always seek connection, whether it's human connection. I love this professional dot connector. I can only imagine that you um, see a lot of patterns and themes as well. You know, not only just in the human condition, but then blending that with seeing things inside the workplace as you've observed and has interviewed, you know, thousands of people and to do your research. Um, that's really interesting. And I, I also love the whole impact of technology and I know we'll get into it. And I know as an intro, I wrote all about, I think a question that I get all the time, right? When I am advising CEOs or senior leaders in their companies. And to me, I know I use the word exhausted, but it's the whole, well, you know, everyone's starting to return to the office. Is it fully remote? Is it fully hybrid? What is the right answer? And I think in this conversation, we'll get into the, the dynamics of it. And I think in terms of what you've seen and what you've written about, really at the end of the day, it is about what well, you've already highlighted about connections. And so I'm curious, what even got you um, motivated or what interested you specifically on retention? Because you've talked about bring your human to work, right? And you've also talked about um, this rituals roadmap, which I am fond of, of course, because I had the chance to participate, but also read the book. Um, so what, beyond that, why did you take it a step further? So say more about that. So um, the rituals roadmap came out in January 21, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. And, yes. and there were some challenges around that. You know, many people during that time were really leaning into their rituals. You know, rituals can provide some order out of chaos. Yes. And um, people were seeing as all of a sudden all many of their commuting rituals, so many rituals that we had at work um, were gone overnight. And so at that point, I wasn't thinking about writing another book. Um, it's hard. It takes a long time. Um, but as we know, over the last three plus years, pretty much everything we know about work has been turned on its head. Yes. And one of the things that, that I started to see, I'm sure you saw and, and your listeners saw as well, was this, this pendulum that kept swinging from, you know, the great resignation to the layoffs, to everybody at home, to people in the office, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, companies needed a roadmap to figure out, even when, you know, they're laying people off, they still were having trouble retaining their best people. Yeah. And so um, I'm like, this, the, 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 the topic of retention seemed to be really important to to the world of work, to leaders, to entry, you know, early career talent, 
irrespective of where that pendulum was. And so I decided to do a, a deeper dive on what helps companies retain their top people, what makes you know, young people want to go to a company and stay. And, and it just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't help it. <laughs> oh my it gosh. To be. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And I, I agree with you kind of going back to this rituals roadmap. Yeah. I think it was amazing. It came out in 2021 in the middle of the pandemic and you even did kind of, um, so an epilogue afterwards, like you yeah. wrote more about, all right, here are the people that I interviewed and then you wrote, and now how is it being, how are the rituals being impacted, you know, with the pandemic and everyone's learning what it means to participate and be part of work. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's some great learnings there. And I agree with you too, on this whole pendulum swing, you know, there's this whole great resignation, the great reset. And then this year, the buzzwords are um, the, the year of efficiency. And, and, you know, you put into the middle of that, this whole notion of, okay, how productive can people be? And does it mean they need to come back to work? I mean, I think, you know, in the headlines now more than ever, I'm starting to see, and I'm sure you've seen it too. All right. XYZ company has now requested that employees return to work four days a week, right? It's not even the three days or two days now, four days a week. And to your point, you know, I think there's something generationally for, I'd say those who've been longer in the workforce, they're kind of like, that's kind of a ritual. That's how we get work done. Yep. But then for this newer generation, as you point out, and you think about the ability to attract and then more importantly to retain, um, how does that work? And so what I'm fascinated about is um, the word connection, again, going back to who you are, what is it about the human connection and how should leaders be thinking outside of the office, not outside the box, outside the box, right? Like how they should be thinking outside of the office and how they create an environment, right? A culture where people can be productive and really encourage them to think of new ways of how they think about that work relationship. That's, that's a big, that, that's the yeah. magic question. That's the million yeah. dollar question. So what I would say, and this is, this will sound very cheesy, but, um, you know, left to our own devices, right? Excuse the pun of where we started, we're not connecting. And so whether you're a leader and you're, you want your employees to come in the office in real life, you know, one day, three days, four days, whatever that is, you've got to be intentional around connection. Because the worst thing that you can do, that leaders can do right now, is you know declare that they want people to come back, and everybody's coming in on different days. No one sees each other anyway. They don't get that rush of you know oxytocin that we get when we're actually in the room with other humans. And employees show up, their teammates aren't there, and they're doing the exact same kind of work that they could be doing from home. And that leads to what I call the recipe for resentment. And that mm -hmm. is one way to send your employees and especially your, your best ones packing um, to go somewhere else. So what, what is a leader to do? You know, the first thing that I'm, I'm seeing is that many leaders will say, okay, I'm declaring, um, you know, I, I, I just need to put a stake in the ground. I want people to come in three days. And a leader shared recently when, when they made this decision, they didn't take the time to, to look through 
all of their data and demographics and realized that during the pandemic, 30% of their people, you know, had moved. They were COVID migrants. You know, they had moved to, you know, we were saying you're in Nashville right now, right? Yeah. They had moved to Nashville. They had moved to Miami. They had moved. So if you're telling your employees to come back three days a week and 30% of your people are not geographically co-located, the, the people that are coming in are frustrated because they have to and others don't. And the people that are distributed are feeling the energy because everybody else is being told to come back and they feel left out. Yeah. And so the first thing leaders really need to do is to come up with a plan that that really is aligned with, with their business and their business strategy. And you can't even begin to put a stake in the ground until you've gone through that analysis. Yeah, I think that's a fair point that you bring up. Um, I remember having been a chief people officer during that time in COVID and there were no rules, right? We were all trying to figure it out. And I think the flexibility where everyone was sheltering at home and therefore working from home. There are a lot of people, I love that terminology where they were COVID migrants and they moved either closer to family, they moved to a place where it was conducive to their lifestyle, you know, whatever. And they were still putting in 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week via Zoom and technology to get their work done. But how, how can managers even pull that plan and analysis together? I know uh, my team did everything they can because not everyone even reported, hey, I moved here. So um, what approach would you suggest managers take um, when they are beginning to put this plan together of how they connect their team? Right. Well, I, I mean, I think this is knowable because there's all these issues and I'm not an expert in it by any case, um, you know, by any stretch, but, you know, of where people live and where they're paying taxes and, you know, all of those things that that the heads of HR are, are dealing with right now. Um, so I think you, you the data is there. You just have to look at it and say, OK, based on that, what is the best thing for us to do for this company? And what I would say, I mean, I, I believe wholeheartedly that in-person connection is critical. You yeah. need to have it. I think we need to have it in life. You know, we all saw the 82-page Surgeon General's report that came out about loneliness. Yes. Um, and that we need human connection, at least in 2023, even though we have tons of AI and chat GPT, we still are humans and we are wired for connection. That being said, um, how much and where is, is up to the individual companies. So let me give you an example. Um, I spoke to a CEO recently, it's, he's based in Baltimore and he did the analysis and you know, I think 80 or 85% of the people live all around um, Baltimore. And they now have a, um, what they're telling their employees is that it's three days in the office and he's choosing, you know, this, mm -hmm. or this tweet is saying, these are the three days. And I am, I know, um, you know, Nicholas Bloom out of Stanford, who does a, ton, does a ton of writing on this, also is a big proponent of the leadership deciding or defining what those days are, because otherwise you do get the, the recipe for resentment. Because so you, you want to have yes. when they're in, you want to have them in. But then what this CEO realized was that the 20 percent of the people that don't live nearby he is bringing them in. And so, yes, there's a cost to it, but I would say there's also a big return on that investment. Yeah. And some of them live in different places for different reasons related to the business. So once a quarter, everybody that doesn't live nearby, they come in for an entire week and they are at the headquarters and there's programming and there's dinners and there's meeting with clients and the people that are located at the headquarters get to meet the people that are remote. And 
one week a quarter, you know, where you're really there and focused and engaged, you can live off those relationships and those connections for a long time to come. And what you find is that after you've met someone in person and you've broken bread over a meal, and I'm happy to share yeah. with listeners my, you know, the story of the firefighters um, that that's inspired a lot of my work, but it, it, the the way that people communicate via technology once you've had an in-person connection is very very different and it's and it's typically much better. Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack from what you just said. Everything from the Surgeon General's report, I agree with you and the impact of loneliness and how, you know, I think one of the data points that I read is that um, loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And, yep. and therefore um, shortening the length of your life, you know, and, and that importance of having that human connection and especially as it relates to work. And then I'm just going to fast forward that. I love how the CEO and, you know, it's a hint for those who are CEOs on this call. And I just saw one popped on um, that when you do require people to be in the office, set the rules, right? And if the rules are, I need you in three days a week set the days, don't be like, and whatever days you want to come in. That way, you at least know when the majority or the group of folks will be there. I also love the idea from um, the Baltimore CEO where he realized 20% of the workforce not co-located, like they're out elsewhere, either for their work reasons, whatever their job is, et cetera, that, that there was a dedicated week every quarter. That's amazing. And programming to ensure that there was this connection that was happening. But then I love this informal part. And I guess it hits me personally, because I remember when I first met you, and you and I were talking about a ritual, which is likely and I'd love for you to get into the story about the firefighters. But um, a ritual that at my last um, company, I worked at Chipotle. And one of the rituals that I observed when I was getting to learn about the restaurants is, you know, it's fresh made food every day. And the employees get in there and they are hustling, right? Cleaning vegetables, cooking, et cetera, so that they can open the doors at 1030 or 1045. And the ritual for that group of employees every day was to sit down and have lunch together. Now, lunch was at 10 a.m. And have lunch together, right, before the doors open from 10 to 1030. And it wasn't talking about, oh, how we made the chips today, right? It wasn't about hey, we, we did all these things to get us to the opening. What I learned in sitting and having lunch with those employees is that I learned about whatever their weekend was, no matter what day I was there, you know, their weekend the days were the days that they had off. And you hear all about what is driving them, what is inspiring and or holding them back personally. And you hear, you know, I, I saw these relationships and this kind of, I'll call it peer, this extended family. I don't know what word to use, but it was very personal. Mm -hmm. And to have that kind of connection, you know, I, I, that's what it reminds me of when you start saying this, which then when you bring it back into the workplace, that just gets people further in terms, in terms of how they learn how to connect with each other because everyone has a different personality. And then fast forward, I think what I, you interviewed me about was, look, when um, the company decided to shut down the original support center, the headquarters and move, you know, a ritual that was started every Monday 
was everyone would build a bowl and build their lunch together and sit in the lunchroom and connect. And typically it was about what'd you do this weekend? You know, and it was more personal than it was. Um, and maybe 10% and we're working on this this week or whatever. But um, I'd love for you to say more about that because I think it's definitely this very human and I'll use the word personal as well, mm -hmm. connection that I think catalyzes, right? How people connect in the workplace and on the work itself. Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, I got to actually, you know, sit in on and join, um, you know, to the, a lot of the, the people at Chipotle on the Upper West Side. I went on, I think it's 89th in Columbus. I got to have lunch with them, a very early lunch yeah. point at 10 a.m. And I, before I met you, I had no idea that, that Chipotle, that people, that it opens at 1030 in the morning. And a lot of people actually come get burritos at 1030. Um, so it was it was a really great experience sitting around that table. And I wasn't surprised with what I saw and what you were just saying, because my work has been inspired by a study out of uh, Cornell University by a professor named Kevin Niffen. And Kevin was studying team performance and he was getting his PhD and he was looking at what makes one team higher performing than another team. And his dad was a firefighter and he said, you know what, I'm going to study the firefighters and the firehouses because that's how we grew up hanging out mostly with the guys in the firehouse. And so long story short, what he found was that the firefighters who are the most dedicated to the ritual of the firehouse meal and sitting around the table, you know, connecting as humans, building trust, those firefighters actually save more lives. Oh, and wow. so there was that real correlation between connection and performance. And you can picture it in, in the example you gave at Chipotle, sitting around and having this meal, which is, you know, the, the you know, Chipotle, the restaurant's about to open and you have eight people around the table or 10 people around the table having their bowl or their burrito, shooting the breeze. And someone shares something about something that's really going on in their lives and all of a sudden, you know, they're expecting a call or something happens. Um, and one colleague is much more likely to have empathy and, and step in and be helpful to someone when they know them as a human. And so that, you know, so creating, you know, leaders out there who are listening, you know, it's creating these opportunities when you bring people in to foster that connection. So it could be over a meal. It could be over... Um, I have interviewed some companies that are bringing people together on certain days of the month to do a volunteer activity. Um, you know, it could be to come together and do learning and development, which we know if people don't feel like they're growing on the job, they're also going to leave. And so it doesn't necessarily matter what it is, but it goes back to what I said in the beginning was that without intentionality, you might get physical bodies in the office, yeah. but they're not necessarily going to be connecting. Or I'll have people say to me, oh, well, they need to come back for mentoring. Well, that's great. But just because you and I are physically in the office in the same day doesn't mean that, you know, if you're my mentor, that you're mentoring me unless we actually plan it and yeah. design it. I love that idea too, just underscoring intentionality. It is about what you do when people are together and what specifically. And it doesn't always have to be, let's sit around and have a meal and tell what's going on in your personal life. But it is about investing that time and emotion, you know, I'd say both, into making sure that interaction 
with humans, I think are really important. And I'm sure this, you probably saw this data, um, it's by Gallup and they do this work human study every quarter. And the latest one came out, I think is now at the end of April. And I think what surprised me, cause I'm all about, hey, let's talk about culture. And the interesting data point that I read was, hey, employees really don't, they, they do connect to their company's culture and purpose statement. However, what they connect more to is to each other, right? And it's about these connections they're making at work um, that, you know, makes productivity and a great culture happen. And then I want to say the other piece and get you to react to it, you know, it's one thing for managers to create these engagements or intentional activities for people to connect, but let's talk about the manager, him or herself, and your thoughts on, all right, the manager's ability to connect with people. You know, I think what I observed, and I still see it today, is that what we learned and felt during the pandemic, which is now over, is that, wow, there are a lot of leaders who are really excellent at what they do, technically, whatever it is what they do. And then what we learned was, oh, and then they got promoted and were responsible for people and may not be excellent, or they're still learning on how do you actually support somebody? What does it mean to be a people manager? Mm -hmm. And so how important and what have you seen in your research is it for that manager to be an awesome connector? you know, in this whole, you know, retention piece. It's yeah. not just like, don't count on just the company to create activities, the role of the manager. Say more about that. So um, I, I'm obsessed with managers um, these days. I actually wrote wrote an article, which I'll, I'll send to you, called okay. Manager, Managers Are Having a Moment and Why It's Important to Invest in Our Most Important Employees, which I think right now are our managers. I, I call them, they're, they're our MVPs. They're on the front lines of this retention revolution. Um, and you mentioned Gallup. You know, one of the most famous Gallup studies is that people leave managers, not companies. That's right. And so, you know, you've got to invest in managers. And over the last three years, you've had tons of people that have gotten promoted. You know, it's the classic, you know, Peter principle. You were yep. a great salesperson and then you get promoted to be a sales manager. And A, you're not, you don't like it. And B, you're not really good at it. But then typically you don't get demoted. So you're sort of stuck yeah. in that position. So, you know, if you're listening to this and, and, you know, you're in a position of leadership in a company, I really would urge you to, to think a lot about upskilling your managers and teach them how to lead in, in this moment, because it has never been harder to be a manager or a leader in this time. You know, the, the fights of where people want to be in the office, dealing with a lot of the emotional trauma coming out of the pandemic, dealing with the fact that there are five in some companies, and I'm sure Chipotle, you know, your old company was one of them. There are five generations of yes. people working working under the same roof, and they all want different things. Um, so, what I would say, if, if you know, what makes a successful sort of human manager right now? I call them humanagers. Humanagers. <laughs> a humanager. Um, what is a recipe for success for a really strong manager right now? Um, and it's three things. I'm sort of playing around with this. You know, I'm, I don't really cook, but, um, you know, when people cook, it's, 
you know, you have one part this, two part that, and you're yeah. sort of mixing it up in your recipe. The recipe right now for, for a manager and a leader as we're going through these challenging times is number one is vulnerability. The ability to just share, and we saw this a lot during the pandemic, many leaders who had never really brought their human to work. Mm -hmm. they, didn't a, they didn't have a choice. There were kids, there were dogs, there was technology turning off and on. And we had this feeling that we were all really in it together because many leaders opened up for the first time. And, and this is, you know, it's still work and you need to be professional, but managers really need, if you can, to show a little bit of, of who you are, because the people that work for you think, oh, they're the manager, they're the leader, they have it all figured out. So that's sort of the first part of the recipe. The second part is empathy. So that, that part is, okay, Marisa, you know, I know the last couple of years have been really hard for you. You know, we were going to go back to the office and then we had, you know, the, then we had the Delta variant and then we shut down and then we opened up and, and, you know, you have kids at home and all of these different things and empathy around, you know what, the start and stop of the last couple of years has been hard. And then the third part, which people don't talk about, and I think it's one of the most important things in terms of how we communicate and lead right now, is to lead through the lens of experimentation. And if you say to people, look, we're going to try this. None of us have ever been through this. There's so many new things that are going on about work. What I see is everybody's walking around like this, and yeah. all of a sudden, the shoulders come down. It's not the be-all and end-all. We're going to co-create. We're going to work together. Right now, team, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I want you to come in three days. Here's why. And these. this is how we're going to design it. Um, but you know what? It may not be forever. And, and, it, and it may change. I love that. I mean, I love those three parts. And I know you're still working with your recipe. So first of all, Hugh Managers, that is kind of a hashtag. Let's just say that. Okay. I mean, coming out of this conversation... You know, oh. Erica Cuswin equals few managers, I'm just saying. So that's one thing. But then I love the vulnerability. I mean, it is okay to be human and a professional. You know, um, I was in another conversation where um, I was at SHRM last week, you know, the big national conference. Right. And there's this question around authenticity still and can you be your authentic self? And you get into this whole notion of, yes, it is about still being vulnerable and professional at the same time. It's kind of like what you want your best self to be as a human being, bringing that. And I love this notion too of empathy. You know, I, I think in the world of inclusion, it is about teaching manager skills on how to see and hear people, right? Like people want to be seen and heard for where they are and what they need. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say and then I love this lens of experimentation and it goes back to, and I can't get old school every time I bring this up, but it is this culture of learning. Yep. So what does learning mean? Learning means it's okay to mis make mistakes, right? So as long as you understand what worked, what didn't, and in the spirit of learning, what can we be doing differently, not only to help each other, but this also is a business yeah. that, that we are trying to make profitable and successful. And, you know, there's that piece of let's create learning cultures. And I think it's a tall order for human managers today, because now more than ever, it's not enough to be excellent at what you do technically. You know, you're saying, I mean, I agree with you. And this is kind of the, the um, ongoing challenge for people, human resources, 
leaders out there who try to build that kind of capability now more than ever in organizations. Um, I'd love your thoughts too. There's this study that I always love referencing and it's by Dan Ariely um, from Irrational Capital and it's this whole human capital factor. And he goes through this whole study of people want to know what's gonna drive higher performance um, with people. Is it more money? You know, is it more all these extrinsic motivators? Is it intrinsic? And really to cut to the chase, it gets down to, which maybe you would consider adding to your recipe for yeah. you managers, this ability for managers to show appreciation. You know, maybe that is empathy. That's part of empathy. But it is about um, managers who actually show an appreciation for their people and that they intentionally are trying to build relationships, you know, where they hear and see their people. Maybe that is empathy. Yeah. And when you see that specific behavior and the studies that they did with this human capital factor, and it was really focusing specifically on the relationship between the manager and the employee and that probably the three things that you talk about, um, that you see an outperformance in companies that do that well versus companies that don't do that well. And they actually use the study as a way for um, investors to figure out, well, which company should I put my money in, right? And who's going to give me a more, a higher return on capital, you know? And it's fascinating to me going back to the human factor and this human capital factor that this simple thing of appreciation, yep. you know, really drives that. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that and how does that fit yeah, in your I, recipe? I totally agree. Um, I, in Bring Your Human to Work, the last chapter of the book is say thank you, say thanks. And so it's all about, you know, gratitude and, and recognition. So a hundred percent it's critical. And what's really interesting I have a new, um, I do courses on, on LinkedIn learning. Yeah. And given that we're on LinkedIn right now, I am, it's coming out in October, but I have a new course that's all about the modern manager and it's about elevating and celebrating the, the, the manager and how leaders need to do that. So you are, I, I fully agree with where you were going on that and that we do need to recognize and thank and, and celebrate our managers so they can in turn do that for the people that work for them. I love that. And I love, I will take a look out too, and hopefully we'll get information yeah. or the show notes on this LinkedIn learning that you're doing on the modern manager and elevating and celebrating them. Um, I'm super curious too. I know we started off this conversation and I saw earlier that Michael said, Hey, he worked at RIM, which used to be BlackBerry. By the way, I also was a BlackBerry person and then the iPhone came out, you know, and how companies actually also move with that trend, uh, you know, and I felt much more productive, at least back then with Lotus Notes and BlackBerry, but then iPhone, I do want to bring technology into the role of the manager and employees to each other. How do you see technology as a way of creating human connection or is there a way? There's a hundred, the, yes, there's a hundred percent a way. Um, but it's, you know, you talked earlier about, about having, you know, protocols, you know, the, I almost think sometimes it's almost like when you have young kids and, and they need boundaries yeah. <laughs> um, and they need structure. It's, I mean, some people might hate that analogy that are listening, but, but at work, I mean, it, I think there's, there's stress that comes with 
a lack of clarity. And someone said to me the other day, you know, clarity is kind. Mm -hmm. um, it might even be something that Brene, Brene Brown said. But so when you give clarity and you give people a sense of the rules of the road, people can decide if they agree with it or not, but at least everybody is on the same page. So what does that mean? Um, you know, when we think about you know, one is presence. When we think about physically, you know, being physically present and being psychologically and mentally present are two very different things. So if you are on, you know, Microsoft Teams or if you're on Zoom or Google Meets or whatever your video platform of choice is, you know, you should decide as, as a manager, you know, and, and there's always exceptions if someone's having a horrible day and an issue, which is part of being human at work, but let people know, do you want the cameras on? Do you want the cameras off? Mm -hmm. And really try to tell people, you know, to, to be both physically present and also, you know, mentally present and maybe just have shorter meetings. Maybe if people think the meetings are too long because you have too many emails and too much, I just think multitasking really, really hurts relationships. I would also say, you know, to match the message to the medium. And what I mean by that is not every meeting needs to be on video. Not every, you know, some meetings, as we know, could be emails. So if you're more strategic about what is the purpose of this meeting, what is the best technology to help us accomplish our goal, it will then, people won't feel as frustrated with, oh my gosh, I'm sitting on, you know, back to back to back video calls and I'm, I'm drained because it is draining to be on video all day long. Yeah. So again, it goes, we, we, it goes back to the word of the day intentionality. Like let's, let's analyze all of our meetings and figure out, you know, there's a lot of data that says that if you and I are out in nature and we're on a walk, maybe, you know, we do a walk and talk and, and we, you know, connect and do our one-on-ones or, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it, but I would say mix up the different mediums. Don't just use one and really be strategic about the, 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 the best technology for what you're trying to achieve. Um, I'll say one last thing yeah. could be for a whole separate conversation, which is kind of funny. I gave my first um, keynote or a fireside chat in the metaverse, the other oh. day, which Ooh. was quite interesting. Um, I will say, you know, for somebody a little older, it, it took me a little bit of time to figure out how the whole thing worked. So if you're bringing these things into your company and, you know, think about through the lens of inclusion, it might take the older people like me a little bit you know, longer to figure it out. But um, that all being said, one of the things, you know, one of the participants in the in the conversation said, you know, well, at my company, we have a lot of spreadsheets and, you know, that these kind of meetings you know, how does that work in the metaverse? And the the CEO of the, the technology company said, you know, well, you might not want to have those kinds of meetings in the metaverse. Yeah. If you know, working on a spreadsheet together. One of the positives about having a meeting in the metaverse is that it's really, if not impossible to multitask. So match the message to the medium and figure out the, the best use of technology to help you deepen relationships and where we started was also make sure you put that technology in its place. And yeah. so if you're a company that's fully remote, try to figure out a way to get your people together a couple times a year in real life. I love that. I, okay. You've got me curious, the metaverse. So I know it's probably a topic for another time. Are there avatars of people in the metaverse or is it yeah. literally you in the, you know, no, no, no. I was, um, I had to create my avatar. Wow. And um, which, 
you know, I, I, which was one of the things that was interesting and I need to follow up and find out about it. My, and this would be, but this wouldn't be good for you either. I always wear glasses as yeah. I know you do. And my avatar didn't have glasses, which sort of felt a little weird. Um, and so I thought that that was kind of interesting, um, to be in the metaverse, but, um, yeah, it, people, yeah, everybody was there with their avatar and you could turn, you could talk to people. And there were some really interesting parts about it. Look, I'm on the beginning of my learning yeah. journey around it. So I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but again, I wouldn't want to be in the metaverse all day, every day. But, um, but I think again, Matt, mixing it up and, and using that as part of your ways to connect, it could be really fun. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, but I'll go back to your rules around, making sure that people are intentional and strategic at the same time. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the objective or the outcome of the meeting? What's the best way to get that done? And I also like, um, and so aligning the right medium and technology to do that. I also love, it's going back to this human piece that you keep highlighting, which is being present. And how do you teach people how to do that? regardless of technology and what's the best technology or medium that will enable people to be present in whatever the meeting or conversation needs to be. And then the last thing, it looks like Bobby here who made a comment. I agree with you too. Don't let technology, even if it's a fully hundred percent remote company. And I know there's a few people on this call who they're only remote, right? That's all their company does. I think it would behoove them to at least think of those times, if it's quarterly, however often they can do it, you know, IRL, you know, in real life, when do you bring people together so that they can make those human connections? Yeah. Well, it's funny, Bobby. Hi. I know um, Bobby's a friend and we do a lot of work remotely. And then recently I've been trying to learn how to golf, which isn't going so well. And we went and we golfed for nine holes. And that's a great way to get up technology because it's not allowed on the golf course. Oh, interesting. I, there you, you go. Technology in its place away in your golf bag. Yeah, I had a, um, it, that's funny. I had a, uh, a guest on, one of my first guests on the Culture Cast, OG Arabian Prince, who was like an early video gamer. And I think the way I'm beginning to relate to the technology and specifically the metaverse, since I see that Weiss is on here saying it's an interesting way to connect. Look, if you're used to the whole video gaming, right, and your company already has a presence online, it's a way just to take it organically, technically a step further. So that's how I think about it. Like, okay, you know, a long time ago, I used to work at a video gaming company. And how does that like, it's an expression of you, but it's not fully you. Right. I don't know. It's wild to yeah. hear that you did a keynote it's in that way. The beginning. Oh my I, goodness. I also would say again, I'm also not a chat GPT expert by any means. But I do think, I wonder, like a year from now, if we're having another conversation, you know, the with all this technology is making the human parts that much more important. Because if all this technology can do so much, we need to make sure that that we are still human and figure out how people can know that it's actually us and not the technology. Yeah, I... That actually was going to be a follow-up question. You just brought it up in the role of AI. And I think, and this topic that we are so on today, which is around humanity. And I agree with you. Again, a big, big topic. I was at TED earlier this year. I was just at SHRM last week. 
AI was a huge topic and you've got people on both sides, like super excited. And then people who are definitely afraid of it because it, what if it takes over, you know, takes over human work. And I agree with you. I think it's going to require all of us to actually to understand the human element and be more human as it relates to AI. You know, I think about um, AI still requires human judgment. Right. So chat GPT can crank out a book chapter for you or a summary of, of a meeting for you. But humans still need to go through and make judgment on. All right. Is that true or not? Did that happen or not? Is it factual or not? You know, um, my husband was designing um, products on MidJourney. I don't know if you've come across that again, an AI tool that is fascinating. Right. And you can put in all of these components please design. Um, we rang the NASDAQ bell a couple of weeks ago and it happened to be Krispy Kreme. And it was one of those, please design a Krispy Kreme themed sneaker, right? And Midjourney went out there and found all of the you know, Krispy Kreme assets, sneaker designs, et cetera, and put it together. But I still think it's going to require a human being to go, that looks good or not. Right? right. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think that is a piece, too, that people need to recognize, especially um, as AI. I can't wait to have a conversation even four months from now, six months from now, yeah. and what we're learning from it. Um, I love asking this question, which may not all be related to uh, the books that you've written. But, you know, what, from a cultural and pop culture standpoint these days, what is it that you are watching or listening to? Like, what is your favorite thing when you have free time? Um, I don't, I mean, I don't watch a ton of shows. I do, especially because I'm just finishing my book. Um, but I did just watch the, the season finale of Ted Lasso, which I love. Oh. And I just think it is very human and also just very connected to to my work. So that's been sort of my, my favorite show. I also just watched the first season of the diplomat. That was kind of fun. Um, and I mean, you know, my goal for the summer now that my book is done is to try to read some fiction. Yeah. And again, like, you know, when you finally get into a really good book and it sucks you in, it is a way to get off of, of that technology, but it's hard. Um, you know, this technology is designed to suck us in. I'm as addicted as the next person. And, and I think we just, you know, have to seek out things that will really keep our attention um, because, you know, it's not good to be on this technology all day. So that's what I've been watching so far. Um, and hopefully I'll, and right now I'm, I'm out, I'm in Colorado right now. I do a lot of hiking um, and really just try, listen to a lot of podcasts and just clear my head. I love that. I, um, I too love Ted Lasso. You know, I, I like to say I'm a catalyst for kindness and the way that Ted really deals with um, all emotions, right? And the way he coaches his team through good and bad, he's just kind of that got that thread of humanity and kindness. Look, like no he's a what. manager. That's it. He's a huge manager. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if you intended that. Yep. You're, watching, you're watching a show on the huge manager. Yes. And then on books. Are you old school and do you crack open a book? Yes. Or do you audible or do you read it online? You know, I, I download them and I find that I never listen to them because I'm usually listening to podcasts 
So I bring, um, I like hard copy, hard copy of them, bring my books and sit and open them and feel them and read yeah. them. Yeah, I feel the same way. I love like, especially like a book like yours. I'm the nerd and I'll put like post-it notes and write little notes inside the book. I don't know why. I think it's just the student in me where it's kind of like, I need to remember this or I, I react to it a certain way. Attention. When you write things down, yeah, um, you retain it better. Oh, I totally agree. Um, oh, wow. Tracy. She's saying that we just model the human connection with the more human question and sharing the human side. Yes. And actually podcasts, you know, I know there's a ton of them out there. One thing that I feel like is good candy. And I don't know if you've heard any of it, um, but it's like candy to me and I love it. And it, the hour goes by very quickly is smartless. Have you ever heard of I that? I just downloaded it. Someone else told me. So that's on my list for sure. Yeah, to take a look at it or take a listen at it. You can also look at it. I think they just did a six-part series of filming them on tour and doing this live. But what I love about it is that it's not planned. And what I mean by that is you just have three friends all who happen to be celebrities in different ways, just kind of coming together and talking about whatever and saying whatever. And there's just this very human side of, how they react to each other and how they, you know, the friendship uh, and how far they can go. And then watching it as well on, on max right now and watching them interact together just cracks me up. So you should take a look at it. I will. Well, I think we are coming towards the top of the hour. I want to take the time, Erica, thank you so much for helping us understand how to celebrate and invest in Hugh managers I love that. I think another word that I take away from our conversation is intentionality in that connections do take work and you need to be thoughtful about um, aligning people and technology, deciding on what works and, and then specifically strategizing around what works for your company. Don't just throw it in there. Um, and then I love this word too. It is about being present, you know, no matter what, like how do you how do you create a recipe for presence? And, and I'm looking forward to seeing when your human manager recipe comes out, when those three do stick. I think I'm going to be referencing it in future conversations. All right. Well, I love it. And it was, it's so great to see you. And hopefully I'll see you in real life in Nashville in a couple of weeks. I know. I can't wait. Hopefully we'll see you and Alyssa together. That'll yeah. be amazing. It'd be great. Well, thank you for having me. It was really uh, such a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Erica. Same. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.